Come, linger, and join the conversation as we sit at the feet of Rabbi Jesus in the upper room. In this upper room conversation, the guys continue their discussion of Eremos, a place to meet God. Welcome back to the Upper Room, and thank you again for joining us this week in the conversation. We're going to continue talking about the Eremos, the wilderness, uh, this place that we see both in the Old Testament and the New. Giles, we're going to be starting out in Ezekiel, a place that we've found ourselves before. Ezekiel, such a great book. I want to sort of speak back from last week. You know, we were using this term Eremos for wilderness, and I want to just share with all of you that that's the actual name of the property that we've called the property because as we've been going through these things, this is the kind of place that, the wilderness place that we want people to be able to come and meet God. So I just wanted to quickly put that in there um, because we actually are trying to create a physical space in the wilderness for people to go and spend this time and to have that intentional time with God. But Brian, yeah, Ezekiel. Yeah. yeah and, and it is what it is now. Like I said, it's, it's this nearly four acres with a Creek and a garden. And, uh, we we're here now and, but we're also understanding and going back to that, uh, upper room podcast where we shared, the Aramos can be, it can be anywhere. It can be anywhere. It's, it's a posture. It's a way of living. It's a, now I do think there are some stipulations that we're going through about, I, I think, I think we got to pay attention to the quiet. We got to play, pay attention to the outdoors. There are some things that we can learn and we can play, uh, learn from this. But, you know, if you, if you happen to live in a city you know, find a park, find a park bench. And I know one of my most intense encounters with God was sitting on a park bench at Anderson University with just an empty valley between the buildings in front of me where he and I sat there on a on a bench. We we have a a state property that's here fifteen minutes away that's just wide open, you know, horses and trails and lakes and fishing and stuff. But, you know, the, just this concept of Eremos, solitude, wilderness, deserted places, getting away from distraction uh, is definitely uh, near and dear to our heart, so much so that we, we named the property. We had, a, we had some signs made and painted it on the mailbox, and it's as a reminder for us of, of where we're supposed to meet God. We didn't need to have four acres. It was never for us. You know, I know Brian loves the outdoors and loves space, but you know, that wasn't the purpose for us. It was really the whole property and how we looked about, even when we were looking for one was based on the space for others, the space for people to be able to find this place of solitude. And he's exactly right. And we hope that, um, you do find that place. 
And if you're around here, we hope that you feel free to use this place. But uh, we understand that that can't be the truth for all of you. But this place to become, you know, we haven't used this term yet, but I want to use it real quick, just unplugged, because it's such a cultural term for us uh, to be unplugged. And I don't know what that means or looks like in your life. But, you know, one of the main things that would be is turning the data off, turning the texting off on the phone. If you're going to even have your phone and say, hey, it's my Bible, and I get that, just turning all those things off and truly unplugging. And so that small sound you hear is not a buzzing or a vibration or a, a twing or a tang or whatever the, the ding or whatever the sound is, but is possibly that sound of God speaking to you. Yep. So in last podcast, we talked about the Aramos being a place where God reveals to us our purpose. We found that there are scriptural examples for God showing us our people, who it is that we're supposed to lead and disciple, go and make disciples. Well, who are they? You know, many people struggle with that. Who are they? And it's in the wilderness that God will reveal those things to you in the quiet. And also a place to pour out your cares and to have God restore your hope where he sent an angel to strengthen Jesus even to restore his hope and his mission and purpose and passion. So this time, you know, we're, we're like I said, we're going back to Ezekiel. This Ezekiel 47 scripture just continues to, to shape uh, our lives. And the fact that the fact that we have this Creek and this river running through our uh, property is just so such a great reminder. But so we, Giles said last time, too, that the Old Testament, the word would be Araba, the New Testament word Aramos, the two are interrelated. And in Ezekiel 47, we, we're find again, we find again this term and says, he asked me, have, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. This is the river flowing out of the, of the throne room. And he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea all the way from En-Gedi to En-Eglame. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Every kind of fish will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. So transformation takes place in the wilderness and specifically, Giles, in this scripture, you know, if somebody was just reading this, they may not have found the the, the word and the allusion to it. Share with us what you've learned about this Ezekiel 47 passage. Well, this Ezekiel 47, that place, that intermediary place where we see the fresh water meet the salt water, that's the Arabah. And in some translations, they'll actually have that word Arabah in there. That's where it takes place. So the living waters go into the dead waters because salt, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a purpose. It's nothing lives in it. But these living waters go into there and the living waters actually transform the salty waters 
and make the salty waters able then to have life and produce life. And this Ezekiel 47, you will also find a similar, you'll also find similar scripture in Jeremiah as well. And I've been reading Jeremiah, so I've all been about that, but they talk about this exact same thing. And in Jeremiah, they actually say the living water, the living water. And Brian, is there somewhere else in scripture that we hear the term living water? Uh, Jesus is our living water and we'll never thirst again. We're supposed to stay connected to him. And and I think even guys, if you haven't read this Ezekiel 47 passage, there's another part of it that says, you know, we're not supposed to just dab our toes into the living water. We are supposed to throw our lives into the living water to drown, to give up our lives in order that it can overwhelm us and completely take over the direction of our life. Total transformation. Yep. A total place to be transformed. So we have this Old Testament, this visual they're giving of the temple place of the water flowing out of the temple, you know, played out multiple times in the Old Testament. Then we see in the New Testament, Jesus continually talking about with this living water, you know, the, the woman at the well, he says, you know, the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And tie this together. And we, we talked about, oh, and I, I hadn't even thought about this before we got into this podcast, but we talked about how this Erebos is the place to meet God. Jesus is himself is the embodiment of the Eremos. The pla- he is the one that takes, that has the fresh living water and overcomes the saltiness of our life, overcomes the death in our life. And it's through his death and resurrection that we're able to be born again of those living waters. Going a whole new place here, guys. But just such an awesome thing about how scripture is so beautiful. The word of God is so beautiful. And how God has interwoven this uh, incredible uh, narrative of his nature and who he is and spoken that out. And then we see Jesus as the embodiment of God, as the one who is the living fresh water, that temple, that water flowing out, coming into the salty dead earth for us so that we could be transformed and produce living water. Yeah, man, Giles just preaching again, but yeah, so much so. And I even think about this Ezekiel passage. I know that specifically, you know, the word Araba is for that place where the fresh water, the living water meets the Dead Sea. But I even think of that passage in the rest of the way when you're talking about transformation. As it flows through this desert, there's life on both sides of the river as well. So it can't help itself. It can't help itself. It, it isn't meant just for that ending place everywhere it goes. And I believe that we also hear that again, that from Joshua, that everywhere your everywhere your feet go, I've given it to you. And here it is again in this place of transformation, everywhere that the living water goes, you're going to see transformation. Well, that's, yeah. And what a gift from God to be able to have this fresh water, this living water, this water, which will sustain us Something else also happened in the wilderness when people would go there. There's all these stories in Scripture, and this was one that sort of caught us, I think, even a little bit off guard because we really didn't think about it 
until we began to really look at it. And then we saw some incredible parallels. But the wilderness is also, oddly enough, the wilderness, right, is a place for provision. Well, and, and going back to the last podcast when I was talking about me hunting, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense to a hunter, right? A hunter looks out and sees a creek and says, well, I can catch fish. They say, they see some woods and they say, I can hunt wild game. And they, and you also understand how there's no, there's no real skill in it. It's completely the wind and the weather and the time of day and the moon phase and chance. And so there's nobody that's going to understand a place for provision in the wilderness better than a hunter, except for maybe the Israelites. Like, how do you talk about, how do you talk about the wilderness without talking about the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the wilderness? Jesus was there 40 days. Right. Uh, The Israelites were there 40 years. And, you know, that number for 40, the, and in the constant parallels throughout it. But, you know, you hit on something there. I, want, I do want to touch on something you said there, there about hunting. Very interesting. As you were talking about it, I was thinking, though, when you fish, when you hunt, you can't trust on You can only be so skilled. Right. There's such a reliance factor that yep. the fish will be in there, that the deer will come across. And this is the thing about God. In the wilderness, provision is really reliance on God mm-hmm. because you can't really provide yourself. Correct. And I know that this is a hard thing for some of us to hear because reliance in that kind of thing for our provision with God is actually something I think culturally we really struggle with. We no. want, right, Absolutely. Right, Brian? You know, I, th- I think about the, the early days of the pioneers and how reliant they were upon, like, how they, a, a real and genuine fear that there wasn't going to be enough in the storehouses for the winter time. A real and a very real reliance upon their community and other people. It's something that's really foreign to us now when we think the bank is just a few minutes away if I need cash. The grocery store is is right around the corner if I need food. So this idea of being, well, I I tell you a dream that I've had. I've had a a dream of maybe floating down the White River from here down to my father-in-law's property in southern Indiana and just kind of figuring out what that would look like and literally taking a couple cans of beans just in case but really saying, no, we're going to take the 22 and we're going to take the fishing pole and we're going to live like that for a few days. And you know what? We may be starving hungry when we get there, but I'll bet we I'll bet we live. I'll bet it doesn't kill us. Mm. And not, <laughs> you better remember to bring that a can opener. <laughs> yeah. Take up some beans, or at least have those easy pole cans. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to talk about provision. Okay. So he, he, you know, we, we said the Israelites, well, let's go and see. So I'm going to, I'm not going to read all of this. I'm just going to pull out some sections of Exodus 16, 1, and then verses 4 through 8 as well. Then the whole community of Israel sent out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. And that wilderness of Sin is just the name of that space. 
They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. What have we done that you should complain about us? Then Moses added, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Man, this story of the Israelites in the wilderness and God's provision in the manna for them daily has been at the very forefront of a lot of my journey over these last two years and every day and this this idea that the israelites they were free they were free they were free that the connection between them and god was very real he provided for them he guided them during the day and during the night they had everything they needed and yet they were still complaining and you know we don't get to choose how god provides for us we don't get to choose that provision but we do have to understand and realize that it comes from him so manna is not the stale wafer bread communion that you may have had at the little country church that you used to go to so you know doing some research about what man is. So what is actually God giving them? And so this is his complaining people. It's said that it tasted basically like the sweetest of honey, which is interesting because God said he was going to provide them the land of milk and honey. So he he's abundant and he's abundant and he's also giving it to them for six days and on that sixth day a double portion and we know the reason for that is the sabbath so that they wouldn't have to go and work out on the sabbath so he's even honoring the sabbath for them and still the complaints right about this bread and i gotta say too it's interesting moses and aaron are like hey man don't be blaming us yeah you got issue with, you got repeatedly. repeatedly you got an issue with god i think i think i'm gonna try to do that sometimes if you guys get angry at us on the podcast i'm like hey don't <laughs> <laughs> Don't be blaming us, man. You got a problem. You got it with God, you know. Uh, <laughs> what a way to like try to get out of the situation. But uh, it's such a, again, the provision. God was providing, and he provided abundantly. And they still complained. But it's not the end of the story no. of God showing provision in the wilderness. No, he continued to continue to do it, and, and we get... A number of examples with Jesus even. So we keep paralleling back one Old Testament, one New Testament. And this happens to be one that was in my my reading this week, Matthew chapter 14. When Jesus had heard what had happened, and specifically he's talking about his friend John the Baptist being killed, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. 
Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot to the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. He healed their sick. Okay, let's stop there just for a second. I, and I want you to continue on there because we need to do a clear, to clarify what's actually happening here. So he withdrew privately to Theramos. Yes. He's there. Yes. The, the crowds cr- followed him to the wilderness. So this these crowds aren't in the city. These crowds followed him to the wilderness. I think it's just critical he, for this provision in the wilderness. As, as Matthew progresses... That pressure of the large crowds as Jesus tried to—I'm always—I'm amazed in the book of Matthew at how it's constantly referenced that Jesus was trying to get away from them and how they were they were following. So yes, so he he left. They followed him out into the wilderness. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, "This is a remote place." So there it is again. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they'll go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And you know, we say we say all the time here that you know these people in this place, right? These these people, these pe- these people, like they're they're not us. They're on the outside. And Jesus replies, "They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. What we have only five loaves." Of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves, you get, well, you've heard the rest, right? They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up. This is interesting. We just kind of stu- had a discussion about this this week. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those that ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So here it is, Jesus showing his power and providing for all these needs in the wilderness. Providing manna. Right. Providing manna. This is who God is, right? So God in the flesh is Jesus is providing manna. And this wasn't the only feeding. The two separate feedings. See, and, and I like to and I like to tell myself too, I mean, we know he we know that he made the good wine. We know he brought out the good wine. And I got a feeling this is some pretty good fish. <laughs> This was this was some pretty good grilled fish that was going on, you know. This wasn't the Walmart frozen fish. <laughs> right. uh, D thought was probably caught six years ago. <laughs> yeah, but what a cool thing about provision! And so then you see the parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see this feeding, and then the thing that Brian was talking about at the end there. In yeah. the Old Testament, we see God saying, "Hey." Every day do this, go out and do this, except for on the sixth day, then collect the double portion. But we see here in both feedings, basically, God, that Jesus gives the double portion. Right. He's given Sabbath rest on his, you know, through, his, through his message by showing the example of the double portion. He's providing not only for the 5,000 on the one day with the women and children, which who knows, that's probably 15,000 at least. Uh, they had big families, probably even more. Um, and then the 4,000 at the other time. But then there's these baskets that are getting filled, providing for the disciples, providing for whoever they, else they may run across. And by the way, if you've already been splitting it and it's multiplying like that, What's twelve baskets? I mean, that can, that can feed yeah. that can feed a lot, right? When you're starting with five five loaves and some fish, I, I think too. 
you know, he's also showing that the kingdom of heaven has arrived. The kingdom has arrived. All these, the provision, it's, it's, a, it's a precursor to the veil being torn. All of these things, these Old Testament things. This is the wilderness. I am providing to you just like I did Israel for the 40 years that they wandered. But this time, the kingdom is here. The kingdom has arrived. He was announcing his arrival and his kingdom being ushered into the world. And in that kingdom, there's always enough provision with him around. So good. And we won't even get into, now we've been talking about this, the numerology and what does it mean by the 12, if you think about the 12 tribes, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many cool things that this can go into, but what we're really trying to press on to is this concept of the wilderness is a place for provision. Yep. Yeah. You know, I think too, you know, we talked earlier about place for God to restore hope. And we, we actually read about a couple of kings being anointed, both, both the message to anoint them taking place in the wilderness, and then also their actual anointing taking place in the, in the wilderness. But man, my boy, David, um, the the story of david receiving his identity and being anointed as king uh, the fact that that took this taking place in the wilderness um it's just a story that i've always just loved i've just always loved you know david being a man after god's own heart and his pursuit of god and his love and his psalms and his songs that he sang to god but man you know david's anointing taking place in the wilderness pretty cool Moving on, right? So the wilderness is a place to receive your identity, a place for you to receive your kingship is the wilderness. So I'll read a little bit about David's anointing in the wilderness. So in First Samuel 1 and 2 and then in verses 16 through 22, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, and so Saul is, is remember, the king before David. He was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. So he's out here again, out in the wilderness. And in this time period, and this I'm just compressing a lot of verses here just because I want to be able to read through this for you. Uh, David comes out. This is the time when Saul goes into a cave. David comes out. He, David has his men in there. He cuts Saul's robe. He has the offer, opportunity actually to kill Saul, but he doesn't do it, even though his men are prompting him to do it. And then as Saul leaves, David goes out and meets him. So when David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? So, day, so Saul was outside of his kingdom, outside of the palace. He was in this wilderness place, a place that David could have killed him. But he says then to David, May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. 
So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. So, so even though both Saul and David knew that he had been anointed, which I was alluding to it earlier, the fact that David was out in the wilderness tending to the sheep, you know, when Samuel was, you know, Samuel was told to go to his home and he looked at all of his brothers and was like, nope, not here, not happening. Do you have another son? Oh yeah, where is he? Oh, you know, he's out in the wilderness where he's learning to, you know, kill lions and protect sheep and, and be this, this leader that, that he is. But so there was that, but then there's this now where the, the current king acknowledges him as, as the king for the first time. So true. And I love how you tied in that part about, you know, I didn't even really thought about that, about David being out there tending the sheep and he would have been out in the wilderness. But David wasn't the only king who was anointed in the wilderness. And this part to me, this next one is just so powerful because, you know, we think that David had a close relationship with God. But when we start talking about Jesus, we know that that was the closest. And it's so cool how God anoints Jesus and the multiple times that Jesus is anointed um, on his time here. But, yeah, I'm going to let Brian start with the first time that we see the anointing of Jesus. Right, so Jesus' anointing, the first time we see it is in John chapter 1, and John is out. John the Baptist is out. Where's he at? In the wilderness is where he is. Uh, that you know that that you had to go see him. You had to get out of the hustle and bustle. He he dressed funny. He 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 went against all the cultural norms. So John saw Jesus coming out into the wilderness to, toward him. Said, "Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I've been talking about. A man is coming after me. Is far greater." Than I am and existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but God sent me. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one whom you've seen the Spirit descend. And rest on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify, He is the anointed, the chosen one of God. And that's in all this all the scriptures. Right. All four gospels talk about this moment. And in one we see the dove comes down and, and God says, This is my son and whom I'm well pleased. But this anointing of his kingship, the Messiah's kingship here on earth. At the beginning of his ministry, hadn't done anything. Hadn't done anything at this point. Uh, he has just he is just going out to be obedient, to go into the wilderness to be obedient, and to be baptized by John, and to be given this identity, this yeah. identity. Uh, God claims him of who he is, and so you know we can do the same. We can find our identity out there in the wilderness with God. And then in Matthew 17, 8, 1 through 8. So here we see another 
anointing. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So again, this is out in the wilderness. And this is actually, we know it's even out because it's like says there's like six days, so it's like a journey out. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah as well, and which is interesting. We've already shared with you stories about Moses and Elijah and their experiences in the wilderness, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son. Now, if you guys recall, the same statement was made at his baptism. Whom I love with him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This really ties in pretty closely with, I don't not necessarily the taking our cares to G, to God in the wilderness, but the restoration of hope, because because it's that to me it's that it's this when you when you receive your name, purpose, name, calling, when you receive that anointing from God that He says no now go do this, and this is who this is who you are and this. And I guess that's the difference. That's the difference. Right here, it's this is who you are versus what we first started with in the last podcast was this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I I love so much that it's all kind of summed up here because, I mean, if you think that that's not going to charge you up and send you out on a mission, on mission and on point for that purpose that you were given – you know, then you're wrong. And so even when we see the final, when Jesus actually ascends into heaven, the end of his earthly ministry, and actually he had died and come back, he ascends into heaven, it's at the same, it's believed to be at the same exact place in the wilderness that the transfiguration took place. And so again, another identity. So we have this thing of Jesus' man, going out to John the Baptist, right? We know he's divine, but he's the man, right? And then the baptism is taking place. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? So he's right. imbued with the Holy Spirit. So that then is, the Spirit is living within him. So Jesus is in that divine man state. Then you have that transfiguration where Jesus shows he's in the man state, but then he shows his divine nature. So he's shining as bright as the sun. You can actually take this Matthew... Uh, Interestingly enough, you can take this to Revelation and find a very similar conversation. And one of the things that is interesting is that John John is one of the people that's up on this mountain. And John is one of the people that Jesus touches after he's scared. And John explains about a similar situation that takes place when he, in Revelation, when he sees Jesus in the same form, he falls and it says... The Son of Man touches him. So it's actually sort of a cool, that's a little, just a cool little thing I had. I love to toss in these little tidbits. Not that it really has to do with all of this stuff, but it's just a cool little story. Um, But then we go to uh, Jesus in his fully divine nature in the ascension. It's just a cool identity, identity, identity. 
And then as you said, the king's identity. Moses, here's what you need to do. Your purpose is, and then your identity through that. Um, Elijah, purpose, your identity. All of these things found in that Eremos place in the wilderness. And isn't it cool, these young people that we have come across, they seem to be really in tune with this idea of purpose and identity. There's a there's a real purpose and identity crisis or vacuum that's going on in our world right now. And I hope that this story of Eremos has encouraged people to maybe do something different about it, to to go seek it out in some different ways. And we've got some ideas. We've got some ideas of, of how, again, we, we keep saying, you know, it looks like, it looks like maybe we got COVID on the, on the right track here and hopefully things begin to open back up and get back to what we know is normal. But, you know, we have some ideas of, of things that we're going to build into our regular routine here at the property. I mean, we named it Aramos. So who would be, who would we be if we didn't try to help people find their purpose, find their identity as, as Kings and Queens and launch them out on a new direction. I don't want to be speaking out of turn here because I don't really want to, uh, I don't really like to get into causation uh, because it can be sort of a messy business of a cause and effect of, of one thing causing another. But Brian touched on something really critical in the fact that we are dealing with a real identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Young people, especially, you know, we see suicide rates up. We see real struggles with who they are, yep. and they're just adopting all kinds of weird things. And it's very fluid. They, very fluid. They go yeah. from one to the next. When one doesn't work, they move on to the next one and the right, next one. Right, right. And we're not even just talking about the gender thing. We're talking about in general, yeah. just yeah. really struggling with identity. And then seeing that we also are living in the age of massive amounts of distraction. And then learning about Eremos and this place that you go to get away from the distractions. And what do you find there? Your identity your purpose. I don't, I don't really like to talk about those cause and effects, but I can't believe that these things are not somehow related that the distraction of the world has led to this crisis of identity and has led to this struggle and this loss of hope. I mean, and then looking at what Eremos says that what God says the wilderness is in scripture and what's happening in the wilderness to me, it's pointing almost directly as this is what this is what people need to experience. Well, and it makes you wonder too. Why wouldn't the attack of the enemy be all of those distractions, knowing that they do take away from our physical ability, our spiritual ability to hear the whisper? If you crowd out the whisper with stuff, job, kids' activities, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, news, streaming media that just overwhelming at your Goes fingertips. on to the next one, you know, automatically yeah. plays the next oh, episode. Yeah. Binge watching, right? <laughs> like, Yeah, 
Yeah, we don't need to talk about that right now because we do some we do some binge. There watching. is there's a show on right now, <laughs> incredible, but we won't share. It. Yeah, we don't want to get in in trouble licensing wise. But but folks, you know, as you listen and as we wrap this up, you know, you want to be changed. You want to have an idea of how God is providing for you and caring for you. You want to receive that your anointing as lowercase k king um, because you know we are we are the scriptures do say that we will be ruling with him in and heaven. that we're ado- and that we're adopted we are, sons of god right this is this there we this is not uh it's real it's it is real and um so i just encourage you to to find this that that there there are places for it. There there's a reason that we have national parks and state parks and national forests and properties. They are all around you. Use them for what God intended for them to be, which is a place for the two of you to meet. I don't know if I could say it any better, and I really feel like that sort of wraps it all up, as you said. That place to be transformed that place to receive your identity, that place for you to evaluate your relationships, that place to find hope and for it to be restored, that place to know your purpose, all of these things, all of the, and that place for provision. Well, and I love too that where we are, we have a couple tents. We've got a whole lean-to, full of firewood. You can camp right out here in our backyard. You don't need $35 for the national parks. Our bathrooms are cleaner than the pit toilets most of the time. No, just kidding. Um, but, But I'm so excited that God's actually provided a place for us that we can share with people that that may be looking for that. And uh, I look forward to what he's going to do here at Aramos, in the Aramos, with these people that he's calling. So thank you all for finding out about the Eremos, and we pray that you consider it this week. And where, as Brian said, where is that place for you? All right, see you guys next week.